0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Tom Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is the Sacramento Bee's Chris Biederman. And we are brought to you by Cooper's Brewing. You can visit the brewery. That's in Santa Rosa. You can order a case or multiple cases online at CooperageBrewing.com. If you're over 21 and in the state of California, they'll send it right to your door. And getting that doorbell or door knock and walking out and signing for your case of beer that comes cold, not a lot of better feelings than that. And there's a brand new run of Candlestick Chronicles out right now. So if you've missed the first couple of runs, of Candlestick Chronicles Hazy IPA. Or if you just want to get more, you can order some right now. You can also, like I said, go visit the brewery in Santa Rosa. Cooper's Brewing. Drink good beer. All right. We have Mike Salk on the show today. He's the host of Brock and Salk with Brock Hewart up in Seattle on Seattle Sports Station, 710 AM. One of my favorite people to talk, just talk sports with in general, but uh, really smart, level-headed, locked into the Seahawks. And we had a really good chat about a very surprising Seahawks team, but first, Chris is live from Toronto, so let's get into it.
0: Blue wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles.
2: In
1: Dude, you're in the six. How has it been hanging out with Drake?
3: It's been awesome. Um, it's been good you catching up with him. Yeah. yeah, me me and Jersey. I, I haven't seen him for a while. Been a little busy, but um, right. no, it's it's good catching up. No, t-
0: Toronto <laughs> is
3: Toronto's, like, I, I landed, I think it like... 10 p.m. local time and just driving into the city like architecturally the city's like amazing and my hotel is i got a view of the the cn tower
1: is saying architecturally the city is amazing like the film guy thing to say about a city
3: i have no idea but just like there's like a highway that's like (laughs) through downtown and they're like all these cool buildings that you're just like driving through
1: architecturally um, the city's amazing is like saying like i love what they do with their fronts on second down
3: <laughs> <laughs> they're they're bare fronts on on run looks it's just amazing
1: <laughs> uh, no but uh, i'm gonna Mike i'm gonna walk in around coming up busting out the term bare fronts keep going
3: okay so yeah i'm i'm planning on like uh walking around all day tomorrow downtown before the kings play the raptors and uh and checking it out. So I'm looking forward to it. And then I'll I'll be able to get to I'll watch the Niners game on Prime Video from Detroit. Uh when I get there on Thursday. It's a little little two city swing for me. So lots of lots of coats and, and could not fit a microphone in my bag, hence why I probably sound like garbage on my cell phone right now.
1: Yeah, that's okay. We're we're working through it. And honestly, I've listened to podcasts that sound worse. So this is gonna be fine. Now that's a high bar. Is, yeah. <laughs> I've listened to worse podcasts than this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so y- is there going to be a lot of social media content coming from the six?
3: I'm not a big like I need social a media guy while I'm traveling. I might like update the Instagram story. I'm I'm gonna check out like the aquarium and the tower and maybe some some restaurants and stuff.
1: You can't validate do- a city's architecture and then not post about it on social.
3: Yeah, that's that's probably true. That's probably true. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. We'll
1: see. Let's talk about some football real quick. Yeah. I wouldn't, if you had told me in week one, or before week one, hey, in week 15, Geno Smith is going to be quarterbacking the Seahawks, and Brock Purdy is going to be quarterbacking the 49ers, I would have given you zero potential outcomes that involved the game being for like the NFC West title. Yeah, That's, more or less. It's Yeah, because the Niners win and they win the division. Uh, if they lose, Seattle is a game back with four to play. That's wild to me. And I still can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, like, it doesn't it's, it, feel like a big game because of that.
3: I'm just very curious to see what it's going to look like because, you know, road games in the NFL are inherently different. Just, right. like, you know for for all the obvious reasons but a seattle road game in prime time has always just felt even more different mm-hmm. than, than typical because i mean seattle's a really like if you've ever been to a game in seattle the the stadium's right downtown and for prime time it's like everything around like the like Levi stadium doesn't have any of this because it's in sort of this weird suburbia area mm-hmm. but like with a downtown stadium the entire area surrounding the stadium is bustling for like hours on end so like you have people like getting off work going to happy hour and then going to the game which is
1: that sounds um, like the vibe
3: so i mean seattle's a great great place to go watch a game like being able to like on the trips that I've gone there, stay downtown and just walk to the stadium. It's like one of my favorite experiences because you're just walking past all these restaurants, all these bars, like the music's pumping and just the vibes are like, if you're a football person or if you like the NFL, the vibes are just amazing. Whether you're, you know, a Niners fan or a Seahawks fan or whatever. Um, So, you know, it's going to be a unique atmosphere. Like, you know, there's some good atmospheres in the big 12 where Brock Purdy played a ton of college football games, but, he hasn't had an experience starting in CenturyLink or what's Lumen Field now? Is that what they call it?
1: Lumen Field, yes.
3: Lumen Field, of course. Um, <laughs> it's just a really unique place, like the you know, everybody talks about how loud it is. It's obviously very loud. Um, the Seahawks are kind of playing with house money in the sense that like you know, they're they're the un- they're the home underdogs, right? And they weren't expected to be this good. And so they're just kind of the team that can spoil the 49ers attempt to win the NFC West. And that's, that's a good place to be for a home team. Like that's how a lot of upsets happen. And that's going to create a very interesting atmosphere for Brock Purdy to adjust to, particularly because it's going to be on a short week and it doesn't really sound like he's going to get any practice in because he's got this oblique and rib injury going into it.
1: But Aren't the 49ers a little bit playing with house money too? That's the way I've, I've kind of viewed it. And I know their expectations before the season were higher than, than Seattle's were much, much higher than Seattle's were. But with your third string quarterback, if Brock Purdy falls apart in Seattle and the wheels just kind of come off the Brock Purdy express, it's not like a disaster failure of a year for San Francisco, it's like, oh, Brock Purdy came back down to earth. He was the last pick in the draft. That's yeah, but the vi- that's it, kind of the vibe I've gotten.
3: Sure, but also like think about you know what, what Sunday's game did for just the conversation surrounding the 49ers, right? Like no, I right. watched Ryan I watched Ryan Clark on Sports Center today talk about the Niners going to the Super Bowl. Um even with Brock Purdy at quarterback. Mm-hmm. And like if Brock Purdy throws you know three interceptions on Thursday what's that conversation like right, right? like what's wh- wh- how does that shape the expectations because obviously the NFL is such a rapid reaction league mm-hmm. and you know like if if the niners lose cuz Brock Purdy has a bad game on Thursday then all of a sudden it's man are the niners really screwed again because right. you know for them to, for them to make a super bowl run they're probably going to have to win a road playoff game more than yeah, likely, right? Yeah. Uh, unless the Eagles get upset and the Niners get the two seed somehow or something. Um, so, you know, like that's, it's, it's a real test and it's, it's going to be very, very telling. Um, but then again, there's also the element of like, do we overreact to a Thursday night game? Cause Thursday games are typically just weird and wonky and guys are like still sore and playing.
1: Let, um, let, me tell you, without let me tell you, without question, I will be overreacting. You? I'm just letting you know ahead of time. <laughs> Buddy, you're getting a text first quarter.
3: I, I'd always get text first quarter. Sweeping
1: declarations after six minutes of play. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've,
3: I can't decide how, like... I struggle with like, is this a bit or is he really serious? I can't it's, tell. It's and... uh
1: it's it's what it is 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 overreactions in the moment, and I know they're overreactions because I never carry the takes with me into like an actual logical conversation. Right. It's just I'm just gonna be pissed off. And you you're my outlet.
3: Yeah, it's it's certainly something like
1: super fun. I'll find super someone fun. else to be yeah. my outlet. Screw you, dude. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, for I mean for the listeners who who don't know or what, what the reference is, is like Kyle will send mess like texts after like
1: The Dolphins know, like the game Dolphins. was over after Trent Shurfield's touchdown.
3: Yeah, it was like this is over like, what a they disaster. don't have it today. <laughs> it was like, okay, They're flat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you said they were flat after two series of the game. And no, then...
1: it was two plays, Chris. It was the touchdown to Sherfield, and then Ray Ray McLeod got lit up on the kickoff return. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, they didn't come to play today. Right,
3: right. Yeah, no. So yeah, it's it's always fun to get those text messages when there's you know forty five minutes of of game time left to play. But um, no, <laughs> it's, an it's hour left. An hour, yeah, even more. Um, no, but Thursday's game is going to be really fascinating. I think I think you learn more about players and teams in tough road environments than really anything else,
1: mm-hmm.
3: right? Like the that I think that was what made the playoff run for the Forty ers last year feel so much different. Was because they went to Dallas and Green Bay and won those games, right? Right, and and that's just that's a because, like, if you're hosting a playoff game, you sort of expect, like, in 2019, like, we kind of expected the 49ers to win those games, right? Not only yeah. were they good, but it was just like, these are home games. But the reason why last year's were so encouraging, a large reason, was because they went on the road in hostile environments as the lower seed and then won those games. So, like, right. I think Thursday can be really telling from that standpoint also.
1: Yeah, I I think that now, like you said, it's tough because it is a short week, but if like we talked about after the Bucks game, like to me, Brock Purdy just kind of lowered what his or raised what his floor was going to be. But I think if we're going to see a game where he just bottoms out, it would be Thursday night. And so that's what maybe he doesn't play great, but. Maybe he if he shines, then I'm in like it's it's Brock Purdy country let's ride. But <laughs> but if he goes out and is as long as it's not catastrophic, like he throws five picks, you would understand if there's like a little bit of a regression, just for all the reasons you laid out. Seattle's such a hard place to play. It's a short week, he's banged up. But if they at least play well, like and and lose, I would be really, really encouraged if they at least like played for the most part pretty well.
3: There, but then again, also, if they
1: play well, I think they're gonna win. So
3: there's also a strong possibility that Brock Purdy throws the ball eighteen times and they run it forty five times, right?
1: Yeah. Seattle so. can't run Seattle can't defend the run and Al Woods, their best run stopping defensive tackle, probably isn't gonna play. He hasn't yeah. practiced at all this week.
3: Yeah, I, I would think that's going to be Kyle Shanahan's game plan is to like, all right, we we really just want to play conservative, play to our defense, play to our special teams, which is suddenly good. Like the Niners mm-hmm. special teams has actually been good recently. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that'll be part of it. But I'm also curious to see, because like we talk about it, like we'll see a team be like, oh, this team, you know, Team X doesn't stop the run very well. And then they just stop the run pretty well against the 49ers. The the Chargers. Week. Right, exactly. Like that happens in the league. Like if there's one if there's an area where teams can can pretty dramatically change defensively, and we we talked about this after the Chargers game. Like you can be have more guys in the box, you can have better lane integrity. You can, or gap integrity, excuse nice, me. So Sorry to, for all the football guys who were offended that I said lane integrity, gap integrity. Um,
1: <laughs> lane integrity is like, swimming, you nerd. <laughs> sure.
3: Um, like they, you know, like that can change, like that can snap back uh, more towards the mean. Like I can't imagine that the Seahawks are going to be as bad on Thursday defending the run as they were against Carolina but I mean there's still an opportunity to like sometimes in games too like teams can get broken right like if mm-hmm. they if the Niners get if the Niners say the Niners have like two long scoring drives to open the game and like Christian McCaffrey rips off like 75 yards on the first two car- on the first two drives
1: mm-hmm.
3: like you could potentially like break the Seahawks spirit Right. At that point, like you know, defending the run is as much about will as anything else. And like, if the Niners can break their spirit, then maybe that's a way that you make life easy on Brock Purdy. It's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, if we're just going to be the more physical team, and we're going to play to our defense, and we're going to win this game, seventeen to ten or whatever. You know, like that—that's a possibility too.
1: Yeah, the the deal for Brock Purdy though is. If Seattle comes out and it's just like nine guys in the box, he has to make throws. Like that means there's going to be layups to be had. And if he can hit those and Seattle softens up now, suddenly you can't just stack nine guys in the box and stop the run. Like Kyle Shanahan's eventually going to take over with his game plan, getting, you know, more blockers than you have defenders. And that's, what's going to open up those, those creases for Christian McCaffrey, Jordan Mason, whoever it may be so or maybe not jordan mason i don't know i have no feel for when jordan mason's gonna play but <laughs> but tevin coleman i don't know but is yeah, this is
3: tev- a two touchdown tevin you
1: two two d tev maybe <laughs> yeah i think i'm just as a bit just gonna keep picking jordan mason in, in six. okay <laughs> no no jimmy garoppolo but we will take jordan mason come out or high water no, I, I just, I, I think that's where things are going to get difficult for Brock Purdy is the Seahawks are going to force him to make some throws and he made them against Tampa Bay, but I mean, Seattle's different team, different coach, like Pete Carroll's a really good defensive coach. They have a really good young corner in Tariq Woolen. Um I'm, I think if this goes well, the Niners should kind of move the ball at will. But again, I think the, the Seahawks are going to make Brock Purdy do it.
3: Pete Carroll's always defending Kyle Shanahan's offenses yes. pretty well. Yes. Regardless of personnel. So that, yes. that'll that be interesting to see. Like, No matter what Seattle's defense has looked like over the years, it always plays better than well, expected, I would say, against the Niners.
1: Yeah, and that's the other thing is is just the other side of the ball – the Niners shut the Seahawks out in week two. Or their their offense. They scored the special teams touchdown, but um the Niners shut out their offense in week two. So I'm really interested to see if Seattle's offense has gotten significantly better or if that's just a matchup problem for them. And right. if, you know, it's gonna be like the Niners win because they scored 13 points and Seattle had six which is a distinct possibility where the Niners just get bottled up offensively, but Seattle can't move the ball. Right. Which opens up a whole other can of worms in terms of, you know, projecting out for the 49ers. But at that point, if they do win, regardless of how ugly it looks, they're the NFC West champs. And the other weird playoff thing this weekend is if the Niners win and the Bucks lose, the Niners can fall no lower than the three seed. Right. Which is kind of wild too, considering it's not even Christmas. Right. And then if the Vikings lose two and the Niners win, the Niners are the two seed. Which
3: is only, well, they, yeah, they'd still have to win their oh. final three games.
1: Well, I, right, they would move up to the two seed. They wouldn't, yep. clinch it, but yeah, yeah, lots of playoffs. Um, are,
3: happening. are the Seahawks going to wear their green uniforms?
1: Couldn't tell you. They're a really little
3: yeah, those it, are they the worst uniforms in football?
1: They're really bad. Like I get what they're trying to do, I think. But I don't I don't like If them. They,
3: if they did like the green tops maybe with like the blue or like even like the white pants like the they're if they rock their white road pants with the green tops i would be like okay but like to go full green like they do is just it's just tough man
1: it's a tough look you're in on their gray joints right Yeah, kind of okay
3: i like them i like them i I like that they're like they wear them on the road and so there's like a clear contrast between like i'm big on contrast like i think the two I think teams need to have contrast like the the game against the Chiefs when the Niners wore their throwbacks with the white pants and red tops and then the Chiefs wore white tops and red pants like that was just like a non-starter for me like it was just gross you need like real contrast I
1: think okay I've got I've got something even worse for what Seattle's Uh wearing oh no they're going green tops blue pants
3: I mean, I, it's probably better than all green, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's just the, it's action green is what it's called, which is shit, but whatever. <laughs> it's uh, bad. It's just not good. And then with blue socks. So it's green top, blue pants, blue socks.
3: I'm also generally out on socks being socks being the same color as the pants.
1: Right. You're big on socks. You're a big sock guy.
3: Yeah. The fact the Niners don't wear their eighties striped socks is like
1: right. kind just of cata- a catastrophe travesty. in my mind. Yeah. 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 yeah, so yeah, green top, blue pants. I'm just out. I don't like the action green. I think there's too much going on with their jersey anyway. Yep. But give me blue on blue or the grays or something. The Niners are going the with N- their Icy Whites, which are which Okay. Are
3: I like time. I like I like the I like those whites those white ones. Um I kind of think though they need Red Sox. Speaking of socks, because okay. people people tune into this podcast for uniform takes, right? That's Correct. probably why they're here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. We just got to give the people what they want.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> yeah. This is what, uh What's even better is after this, we have an interview with Mike Salk from Seattle Sports Station, seven ten a.m. And at the end of that, we dive deep on the uh, Seattle Mariners and Oakland A's team building. So buckle up.
3: Yeah, let us <laughs> we talk, know. We talk it, a
1: lot of Seahawks Niners, too. Like, it's not just... Right.
3: No, listeners, let Kyle know if you want us to start an A's podcast because we know we know how big of, of a brand the A's are these days. And yeah, um, huge. there's just so much... We're willing to throw our hat in the ring on the, the flooded internet space of A's content. So we can...
0: <laughs> if, I'm willing
3: to take that on if the if people want If more it. than
1: four people hit me up about doing an A's <laughs> podcast, I will consider it. Yeah, let's do it.
3: Yeah. All right. The Lots of uh, Las Vegas aviators talk. Obviously.
1: Yeah. Oh, dude. We're going to make Trips down there and cover <laughs> the games live. Live pods from the Venetian.
3: Okay, I'm going to get out of here.
1: <laughs> yeah, please do. I will be back. So we'll do a six pack just because things are are so weird with injuries and stuff. We'll do a six pack on Twitter at Kyle A. Madsen and at Chris Biederman. We'll do a six pack on Thursday morning. And then after the game Thursday, I will do a solo pod and recap that six pack in case you're not on Twitter to to check that out ahead of time. And then we will be back together at some point next week.
3: I, I'm There's an outside chance I'll be able to pod with you Thursday night.
1: It'll be late. It will be late. Anyways, we'll figure it out. We'll have pods for you. We'll have a post game pod for you for sure. So check your feeds. Uh, Appreciate everybody for listening. Let's chat with Mike Salk. All right, Mike Salk is here and it's Niners Seahawks week. And I don't think that before the year I would have anticipated this week 15 game being as massive as it is, especially if you told me Brock Purdy was going to be starting for the 49ers. I would have had nothing for you in terms of this game being
2: huge for the NFC West. Well, and then if you were to add the fact that Geno Smith is on the other side and has played like one of the, until last week, one of the top five quarterbacks in the game this year. I mean, if you took the jersey off and took the names off and didn't know who it was and just, you know, rated them, I'm as shocked as anybody else to say that Geno's been that good. I thought he was going to be a joke. I thought this was going to be an absolute disaster. And here we sit, you know, three quarters of the way through the year, I think this is one of the most surprising long-term sports stories I've ever seen. Right. I mean, I don't mean an upset yeah. or, you know, even a series come from kind of Red Sox coming back from three games right. down. I mean, those happened fairly quickly over the course of this season. I mean, I guess Brady in his rookie year, or maybe, you know, Kurt Warner when he first showed up, but those guys were unknowns. Mm-hmm. They came out of nowhere. This is a guy that didn't come out of nowhere. We knew who Geno Smith was and he was bad and now he's good. And it's, it's almost unfathomable unless you've been watching him all the way through.
1: Was it, was it a matter of opportunity and just being on bad teams or is it the offense? Did something just click? What do you think it is? Yes. Okay.
2: Right. I mean, (laughs) I I think it's sort of all of those things at once. And honestly, I'm not sure I really know the answer to that. I mean, I, you know, he's sort of unique, In that he's kind of got some elements of being like a young rookie. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, he makes some mistakes and he learns from them and all of that. But he's older. Right. He's been in the league for a while. He's learned. He backed up. He fought. He's been in this system for a few years. So he's not new to it. And he was a second round pick. Right. Who was immature when he first came in and was with a bad organization in New York and then bounced around and never really had a shot. And there is something to the love that Pete gives guys, right? I mean, that's what Mm -hmm. makes Pete special is he kind of puts his hand on your back and says, Hey, let me, let me help you through this. Let's be teammates. And, you know, you combine it with a Shane Waldron, which is basically a Sean McVay offense that seems to fit him a whole lot better than some of the other stuff he's done. And they're finding ways to take advantage of his, his skills, his attributes. Mm -hmm. He's accurate. He is an accurate passer. He -hmm. does throw on time. He does have a decent arm. And he's developed a pretty impressive command that he did not have when he was younger.
1: Right. So has he played his way into being the Seahawks starting quarterback
2: next year, yeah. next three years? I, I mean, you know, we were having a conversation. Okay. They signed Gino. This was early in the year. We were thinking, okay, he's, you know, after all these years, you could get him pretty cheap. I don't think so. I think Geno's making 30 million plus next year. And <laughs> I don't know if it's going, and, and I know that, that's not the very top of the quarterback market, but it's top ten. Yeah, and he probably at this point is going to get it, whether it's either in Seattle or if he you know chooses that he wants to go somewhere else. I think they're going to try to keep him, and and I think honestly, as crazy as this sounds, I think they want to keep Drew Locke too. And if you had told me that before the year, I would have said you know these guys are insane. <laughs> but right. after Geno's success, now I'm having difficulty disagreeing. And saying, well, geez, maybe they do know something about Drew Locke that I don't know
1: that would be nuts okay so the geno smith thing i'll buy it drew lock follows him up and does the same thing crown pete carroll and well, right and especially as, that'd it be happened,
2: as it as russell wilson completely falls apart at the same time i mean you know there's a legitimate case to be made that the only reason russ was successful is because pete and his group knew how to use him are you enjoying watching russ fall apart uh what's beyond yes um whatever the the next element (laughs) yeah yes because the seahawks have their pick i mean obviously that helps a lot right i mean the idea that this is going to be a top five pick and as of today number two or three is just it's insane it really it's it's crazy um and they really need it too and we can talk about it they really need that help on the defensive line or at the edge Mm -hmm. but yeah, I think what, we're, what I'm enjoying is discovering what really what was really happening here. And when Russ was traded, there was a lot of you know, fire Pete, Pete's wrong, Pete screwed this up, they kept mm-hmm. the wrong guy. And I think learning that that's not the case has been very interesting, right? And, and, and I was a huge Russ supporter for years and years. But over the last couple, it has started to feel as if Russ wanted to do his thing and mm-hmm. wanted to do it his way. And I believe that what he thinks is his skill set is not actually what he's good at. He wants to be Drew Brees. He wants to throw for big yards, I think because he wants to win MVPs and he wants that to help his legacy. And he saw that he couldn't do that playing the game that he was playing here in Seattle. Mm -hmm. The problem is that's what he's best at. He's really good at, I don't want to say handing the ball off, like it's a negative thing, but handing the ball off, read option, using his legs, being incredibly accurate, great deep balls, play action. All of these things that Russell does really well are not sit in the pocket and throw the ball 40 times a game. That's not who he is. And I get that he wants to try to prove he can do that, but I think that's the biggest problem they have in Denver. And I'm not surprised that their offense finally scored some points last week when Russ led the team in rushing for the first time.
1: Yeah, I was amazed that that was... It was hard to imagine as somebody on the outside, especially as a, as a, as a person who falls in 49ers, like it was impossible to fathom the Seahawks getting better sans Russ because he just killed the Niners for a
2: decade. No right. matter how good or bad they were, Russ was going to torch them. But I think he was put in a really good position to do that, Kyle, which makes sense, sure. right? I mean, that's really what a good coach does and what a coach's job is put your guys in the best position to succeed. And I think Pete did that very well with Russ. I think they hid some of his flaws. They played towards a lot of his strengths and Russ thought he had outgrown that. Okay. That's a fair thought. And you get to go make your way on the world and see if you can prove them right or prove yourself right. But unfortunately, at least through year one, the exact opposite has taken place.
1: So it looks like an all-time swindle, at least right now, maybe he figures it out next year, but right now it's an all-time swindle. You mentioned that right now it's a top two or three pick that Broncos pick. And then you mentioned the defense. Is that something that concerns you even going against a guy like Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant making his second NFL start on the road on a short week is Seattle's defense, like a
2: major concern here for you. Yes. And for everybody, I mean, you know, over the in the past, they've struggled in the passing game. Right. We've seen that over the course of the last few years. And a lot of guys with Brock Purdy's resume have had good games against them. Mm-hmm. Right. And 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 better. I mean, Andy Dalton and uh, what's his name? Who used to be the backup in Atlanta? Matt Shaw. Matt Schaub had a good game oh, against man. this defense a couple of years ago. It was absurd. Uh, <laughs> and Colt McCoy. And like, you name it, all of these sort Didn't of random, Brett Hundley
1: beat them in Seattle a couple of years ago. Uh,
2: he, I think he did. Yeah. I mean, like that's sort of, yeah. I mean, like that's sort of what they've been right. Mm-hmm. Struggling on the back end. And now this year they seem to have that cleaned up. And I think a lot of that is what this rookie Tariq Woolen has done. I mean, he looks like Richard Sherman 2.0 yeah. in a lot of ways, but their rush defense is a disaster, right? I mean, they've given up more than 800 rushing yards in the last four games. It's astounding. Yeah. I mean, Carolina just, just, huh? Is it just a personnel issue? Like they just don't have the horses? I think so. So it's a little confusing, right? And I'm not going to pretend like I'm a scheme guy. I don't know what the hell they're doing in the front seven, but (laughs) they for after years of doing what Pete called a four, three with three, four principles, right? They made a switch this year. They brought in guys who were versed in the Vic Fangio system, a three, four system, and they said they were going to a three, four. Okay. Well, and they started with that, what they call the bare front, right? Three guys kind of right near the center and guards all heads up and it was awful. It didn't work. So they made some changes, this, that, and the other, it worked for a little while. And now it's not working again. I don't know whether it's the scheme. I don't know if it's the, that they just don't have good enough players up front or if the players they have just aren't well suited for the scheme that they're playing, mm-hmm. but it's not working right now. And right. you know, They've got a couple dudes up there. It looks like Al Woods, who's their best, you know, defensive lineman, is not going to play this weekend. In all likelihood, mm-hmm. that's a huge killer. Um, and then there were some of the other guys up front, they're just kind of undersized and not able to do what they need them to.
1: One of the one of the interesting things with with Seattle this year, not only Geno Smith, but they're relying on rookie two. Both their starting offensive tackles are rookies. You mentioned Tariq Woolen. Um, Tariq Woolen is one of those players that like. I don't want to say I made fun of at the draft, but everybody freaked out over this guy's traits. And I'm like, we're still freaking out over traits in a cornerback in 2022. Like, what are we, what are we doing? And then it turns out he's just, he's hella good. (laughs) He's just a
2: really good player. He's unbelievably good. Like it's shocking how good he is already considering how little he's played the position. He is freakishly fast, tall, long, seems to have a pretty good understanding for the game. I mean, like, yeah he's he's the real deal and it's crazy they have six guys from this draft class that are all major contributors man and I think he's probably the best of them
1: so that's so so you mentioned six guys I had I had four written down I also had Ken Walker of course it looks like yeah. he's gonna play sounds like it good play uh, you know
2: he practiced I think he'll play so
1: is there any because from again I've I, watch the Seahawks. I follow. I watch their scores, but I'm not locked in like you are. Yeah. Is there any kind of concern here? Because I see him go down to LA against the shell of the Rams and almost lose. And then they lose at home to Carolina and yep. Sam Darnold last week. And Carolina is playing better under Steve Wilkes. So and it's not like an awful loss, but I think Carolina's going to make the playoffs, the- by the way. I think that's might, a good dude, team. Tampa Bay is a disaster.
2: Yeah. I, I think Carolina's smoke. actually a sneaky, pretty good team all of a sudden, even with yeah. Sam Darnold. Yeah. But yeah, yes, there's concern. It's almost entirely because of this run defense.
1: Okay. It's not, so I was, my, my, my question was, are, is there, is it like rookies hitting a wall or is it just kind of, is it, is there more to it than that? I
2: don't know that we know. Look, I mean, the rookies actually haven't really been the big problem. And you mentioned two guys, right? Woolen has been great. Uh, Walker got hurt in those last two games. It wasn't really a factor against LA or this past week against Carolina, but he's good. Um, you know, and that left them and it wasn't just him. He got hurt. Rashad Penny's already hurt. DJ Dallas got hurt. I mean, they're on fourth, fifth running backs at that point. So that, you know, is a challenge for any team. These two tackles have been fantastic and have basically handled everything thrown their way, certainly in the passing game. And, and I think in the running game as well, that's not to say they don't make rookie mistakes, but mm-hmm. I think they got a couple of good ones in cross and, and Abe Lucas. I think there's, those guys are going to be bookends here for a long time and the other two guys are Kobe Bryant, who's their nickel, and he's been good, and he forces fumbles, et cetera. He's not incredible, but mm-hmm. he's a good, solid player as a fourth-round pick right off the bat as a rookie. And Boye Mafe, you know, is a contributor. I don't know that he's that guy yet, second-round pick, edge player, who was always supposed to be sort of raw. That was like mm-hmm. he's a raw athletic guy. And the fact that he's already where he is, I guess, is encouraging but, you know, jury's out on something like that. But sure. no, it's not the rookies. It's been the veterans that have been problematic.
1: Huh? okay. That shoots down that theory. Good to know. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
2: what are your thoughts on Brock Purdy,
1: just as a, as a, as a person in Seattle?
2: I got to tell you, I didn't get to watch much of this past week because they were on opposite right. the Seahawks and I was at the game. I, I mean, I, I can give you more general thoughts. I'm, I thought that Trey Lance was a terrible pick. Okay. And based on what I had seen of him in his limited experience playing, he looked like he was going to be a very bad pro. Now, that may change. Obviously, you know, Fields struggled early and, and has found a way to kind of get it going. But I thought the Niners should have just drafted fields from the beginning and that that was the direction they should have gone. Instead, what they did, trading up and all of that, I thought was a total disaster. Mm-hmm. Um I like Jimmy. I think Jimmy's a decent player. And and I wasn't surprised when he came in and they started playing well again, because I think he's a good fit for what they're trying to do there. And quite frankly, I wanted him here in Seattle this year. And I didn't know that Gino was going to turn out to be, you know, better MVP or whatever, but, um, but I, but I thought Jimmy would have been a good fit with what the Seahawks wanted to do. You know, if Purdy can just be good enough, right, just find ways to get the ball to the weaponry that they have, Mm. keep them in the game, keep them close. I've heard that he did more than just manage the game on Sunday, that he made some real throws and showed some accuracy. But, you know, can a seventh round rookie, you know, can he sustain that? John Clayton always used to say a backup quarterback can win you three games, a good, you know, decent backup will win you three games. And then he'll lose you three games. Yeah. And so I don't know whether Purdy fits that category, but hell, maybe he's the next Tom Brady and he comes out of nowhere and and he kind of shows you what he's got. Brock was telling me, Brock Heward, my partner, (laughs) that you know, he had Purdy a couple of times at Iowa State and said, Look, he's part of the reason that program turned around. I mean, it was built around him and Brees Hall. And I don't know, he gave me another name. I'm not a big college football guy. And I I had never heard of Purdy, obviously, but he's like, that's the kind of guy who turns programs around. That's the kind of personality that he has and he's got Mm. a good arm. And so, I mean, I'm certainly not taking him lightly.
1: Yeah, that was, I keep wait. Like, so he played really well against Miami. Right. And it was like, okay, that was nice, but he's going against Todd Bowles and the Buccaneers. Here comes a disaster. Like this isn't going to go well. And he goes 16 of 21, a buck 85. He's moving around the pocket. Like there's just like a feel there that like a guy like Trey Lance, who has played, Sixth of the games that Brock Purdy played in college mm-hmm. And it's just like that feel just isn't Isn't there um, But I'm I'm kind of with you like I'm just Like what John Clayton said he's going to win three and lose three. That's kind of what I feel like is Going to happen more at some point like the, other, the other shoe's got to fall
2: Yeah probably right I mean now People said that about Brady for the first four years Of his career and it didn't right. happen <laughs> And then he became right. the greatest of all time so I mean we don't know but yeah, I mean, usually there's a reason those guys fall into the seventh round, but you know we've seen some other late round picks, et cetera. Uh, what's it, uh, Hundley in uh, in Baltimore? I think yeah. he's a good quarterback. Like, yeah. and he was an undrafted or seventh round guy, something like that. I mean, it does happen, but you know, I think you got to see it for more than a game and a half before we believe it. And then there's just totally. the there's just the the availability element of it, right? That guy's played in barely more than one game, and he went out with an oblique injury. Mm-hmm. And part of being a starting quarterback in the NFL is playing game after game and, and finding a way to be in there. And if they got to go to Josh Johnson, well, you know, that's a that's part of who Brock Purdy is at that point.
1: Right. Yeah. Shanahan did say, I don't know if I believe it a hundred percent, but he did say he pulled him because of the score and not because of the oblique, because I guess the oblique happened early in the game, but that's when I'm not a hundred percent buying. Yeah. Like there's de- I I don't know. Um <laughs> Can the, this is, I I tried to figure out a better way to word this, but it's like, do you think Pete Carroll still got it in terms of being able to coach around his personnel and pull out a win on Thursday night?
2: It sure seems like he does. I mean, he's not perfect. Pete's never been perfect. Mm -hmm. And there are always some head scratchers in the middle of games, but I think what Pete has done well in his career that he doesn't get credit for. First of all, his big strength is building culture and building an environment that is conducive to winning. Mm -hmm. And he's done that here for over a decade. Secondly, I think he's generally pretty good at trying to use the personnel he's got and put them in the best position to win. And it's funny because he gets such a reputation as being old and stodgy and he won't adapt. I think actually Pete's very adaptable. And Mm -hmm. you know, before Russ came in, He'd never run a read option in his life. He'd never run read option. They, mm-hmm. brought, they got this player. They saw what he was capable of doing a specific type of thing and said, all right, let's go. Let's adapt. Let's right. go do that. And this idea that Pete wouldn't adapt because he didn't want to run, you know, the run and shoot basically in, in, in the pros and let Russ cook, the old phrase. Well, I think we're finding out now that it wasn't that he was unwilling to adapt. It's not that he's unwilling to throw the ball. He was playing to Russell Wilson's strengths. Now he does believe that there's got to be balance and you got to run it, et cetera. Those are all important things to him, just as they are to Kyle Shanahan and some other folks in the league as well. But I, I think I'm learning more and more that Pete has it. And and the folks that wrote him off over the last year, I think there's a lot of people that owe Pete an apology. Pete didn't write back. He didn't. Yeah. I know it was a great <laughs> line, you know, but really good. But but you know Pete Pete's admitted to us a few times that you know he heard it he heard all the noise he heard that people called him old and stodgy etc. And I think he's proving that that's not the case.
1: There's nothing worse to me than when a coach or an athlete's like I don't listen to all that outside noise. Oh please!
2: Like dude, right. come on,
1: man. I like when they admit it. I like when TV people on? just
2: straight up admit it. Like 100. It's so much. Bobby fun. Wagner's a guy like that. He's like, yeah, I heard what you said. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's talk about it, right? I always have a ton of respect for him. Um, for all of that stuff like yeah of course you heard it okay now every athlete ever has always said well i didn't read it or hear it my, myself my, my friends told me about it yeah. but they have to do that it's just sure. uh, it's like they have to keep the higher ground <laughs> their
1: friend told them yeah. um i want to ask you real quick before we get out of here if you're here for 49ers seahawks stuff you can you can go now um what's the vibe with the mariners right now
2: is the well, vibe still good it...
1: because the vibes are great in the postseason
2: that's a great question And it is very, uh, the answer depends on who you ask. Mm. Um, the Mariners had an unbelievable season. They finally broke this awful drought decade long, two decades long drought rather. And everyone was excited. And then there was an expectation, I think, amongst a huge part of the fan base that they would now start spending money hand over fist. And that's not happening. They are Mm. not doing that. They didn't, really, you know, compete for Trey Turner or Bogarts or Aaron Judge, etc. And they're not going to. They are going to continue to try to get better, but they're not going to try to spend a ton of money over long periods of time because they see what's coming. They've got a young nucleus with Kirby and uh, Gilbert and some of these uh, Raleigh, some of these other young guys that they know they're going to spend money on into the future. They've already spent on Julio. They signed Luis Castillo to a long extension. They signed Crawford to an extension. They've got a lot of money sort of spent into the future, but that's a hard thing to explain to a fan base that says, well, but why are you 17th in payroll? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And they say, well, because some of the young guys are young and we're willing to take on short term contracts, but we're not going to take on these long ones because while it might help a little bit short term, it's going to kill us. And we don't want to do that. Plus, we don't want, you know, a a 41-year-old speed guy in Trey Turner. We want (laughs) shorter deals. And so I think they've actually been really smart. They go out, they trade for Teoscar Hernandez, who's a really good hitter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they get him for peanuts. They didn't give up that much to get him. They gave up a reliever and a fringe prospect. But they get back a guy who, if they had signed in the offseason as a free agent, is probably a four-year, $80 million guy. I did some right. digging. That's probably what he gets. And I honestly think that if Mariners fans had watched them sign Teoscar Hernandez for four years, 80 million, they'd right. be excited. But right. because they traded for him and didn't, you know, don't have to sign him to that big deal. Right. They're upset about it and feel like the, the, the organization isn't doing everything they can to win. I disagree. And I I think the the fan base is split. I'm finding myself frustrated because I feel like they're finally good. They're finally doing things the right way. They're finally showing patience. And these fans that were finally rewarded after all of these lean years are now more mad than they've ever been. And maybe that just comes with being a baseball fan in the offseason. But it, it's it's almost a bummer. And I, I will admit to having lost my patience on the air talking about it today because <laughs> I just I, I, I'm, I'm so frustrated by this idea that the only way you can show that you want to win is to spend money. Mm-hmm. That is one way to do it. But the Mets haven't won jack squat yet. The, right. the, the Padres, for all the money they've spent and everything they've done, they haven't won jack squat. And in fact, the Mariners finished with a better record than the Padres did last year and beat them three out of four. Right, so I'm 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 pretty hesitant to start criticizing, and while I do understand, like this fan base watched this organization flounder for twenty years, I think they're doing things the right way finally. And look, they got that guy in Julio, and they got Luis Castillo, who I think is one of the true aces in Major League yeah, Baseball. no story. doubt.
1: That's the big deal. Is like paying Julio, like that's step that's step, uh, trust me, ace fan. It's huge. Step one. Step one. That's is right. Paying your guys.
2: So yeah, as an A's fan, isn't that the most frustrating part? It's not that your team isn't spending 200 million a year. It's that you're losing the homegrown guys you've developed.
1: It's that they're trading Sean Murphy. So they don't have to go to arbitration with him.
2: Right. Like that. And, <laughs> Come and on. I would imagine if you're as an A's fan that you say, look, I don't expect the A's to be in the Aaron Judge sweepstakes ever. I I, I understand that they don't have the resources for this, that, and the other to do that. I think that's a bummer, but okay. I don't expect them to do that. I don't expect them to sign Trey Turner or Xander Bogarts, but I absolutely expect them to keep the good players that they've signed and developed. And when they don't, that's a killer. And I think that's the decision the Mariners are making now saying, look, we'll sign Julio. We want to sign Kirby and Gilbert and Raleigh, et cetera. And if it means that we don't get involved with Trey Turner in his thirties, that's okay because we don't want to lose the core nucleus of this team. We don't want to be that guy.
1: Right. And that's so much better as a fan base too. Like You would think. That, like that's that's tr- like the Warriors titles sons Kevin Durant were undeniably better than the ones with him. That's so funny and that's like interesting. Yeah.
2: That makes sense, right? Cuz he yeah. felt like a hired gun.
1: Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. And it was great. Like don't get me wrong, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it, it that's that's the vibe. Like if 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 the Mariners win a title with Julio as the guy. Yeah. And not Aaron Judge or Trey Turner or whoever. Um, it's just better that way
2: I have this theory and it's a, it's a lousy one And a lot of people disagree with it But you know, the, I grew up in Boston The 04 Red Sox win the World Series And it's one of the greatest moments of any Boston sports fan's life After you know, all the years of torture But there is a part of me that wishes it was the 03 team that had won instead of the 04 team, because that did include Nomar Garcia and some more of that mm. homegrown element rather than feeling like Kurt Schilling came in as a hired gun and some other folks. It felt like that was the group that needed to get it done. And a lot of them still did. And it, it's sort of a half cop theory. But I just think, yeah, there is something to watching your guy grow up and, and having that love affair versus feeling a little disconnected. From you know a free agent that has come in because you've offered them the most money.
1: Well, and even with o- like even with Oakland, there's no obviously titles. I've they haven't won one. I was born in '90s, so I haven't won one in my life. But when it's hey, random Brandon Moss, and um okay, they bring in Josh Reddick in a trade, and like yep. it's not it's never like that. Like you get attached to that group for the three years that they're here, but it's never. You know, oh Matt Olson's been with the organization forever and they signed him and Matt Chapman's been with the organization. Yep. Marcus Simeon wanted to be here and they offered him a year and 10 million. I think it was one in ten, and pay it out Ridiculous. over 10 years. Like that's an all-star caliber MVP caliber player that wants to play for your organization you
2: know? Yeah. I mean, it's such a bummer. <laughs> I mean, Olson, yeah, this should done. have been a fun Mariner A's rivalry here over Thousand a few years, right? With Chapman and and the pitching, you know, Minet, et etc. I know you know all the names, and Olsen yeah. and everybody else. I mean, this could have shaped up to be a really interesting Mariner-A's rivalry with the Astros, obviously, a part of it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would have been really fun. and it, It's a shame, you know, it's funny you say you were born in 1990. I was at the Red Sox-A's uh, uh, playoff game in 1990. So I guess oh, I'm wow. sh- showing my age <laughs> a little bit. Dave Stewart and Storm Davis. So, so it's, funny, guys. it's funny you
1: say that. Dave Stewart, on the day I was born, August 15th, 1990, Pitched against the Red Sox, went all 10 innings, and Mark McGuire hit a walk-off grand slam. That sounds
2: right. Dave Stewart <laughs> shoved every time he pitched He's against incredible. the Red Sox, yeah. and Clemens would just totally turtle every time he pitched against the A's. In those oh, days. no. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it's too bad. And, and, you know, look, hey, we talk about those ways to build a team. Look at the Astros. Tell me about all the big free agent acquisitions the Astros have made during this run it's basically none. I mean, it's Michael Brantley. I think they signed as a free agent, yeah, he was he's a good player. I don't want to mock Michael him. Brantley. Yeah,
1: but he wasn't he wasn't like a star caliber player
2: no. when they got him. It's a three, he's like, you know, a three-year 35 million dollar deal kind of guy, right. right? I mean, the players that have been that have keyed this run were either drafted by the by the Astros, international free agent signings, so you know came up in their organization, or were parts of trades. Verlander was traded for, Cole was traded for. Um, Jordan Alvarez, they traded for, they signed, you know, uh, they drafted Bregman, they drafted Springer. I mean, they've done, they drafted Tucker. They did an incredible job of it being as Jerry DePoto says, a draft develop and trade organization. They're the model right. of that right now. The Braves are too, right? I mean, those are a couple of organizations that have done a really good job at, at that style. That's not to say you can't add to it with other free agents and I think the Mariners very well may mm-hmm. but this idea of you know spend more money or else you don't care about winning I, I don't think that's fair to put on this organization right now
1: yeah and I think that comes into play if they were shopping Julio Rodriguez instead of right. saying I'm like that's where that that comes in I'm, I'm right there with you uh, Mike really appreciate it don't want to take up any more of your time Always uh, super looking forward to this game on Thursday night and uh, enjoy it man
2: thanks buddy appreciate it